Okay, well, we've got a quorum and it's time to start, so let's do that. Uh, do you wanna do roll call for introductions? Yeah, if you don't mind, Jessica Martinter, Transportation Planning Manager. I will proceed with our um, hybrid meeting information rules. Um, we have a few housekeeping items. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and on cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you're not speaking. The chat function for this meeting is disabled and all chats will go directly to us. Unless you're participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you're participating, please turn on your video. If you have any trouble, you can send us a chat. The city and the MPO reserve the right to mute or turn individuals on or off to minimize distractions during the meeting. And now I will turn the meeting over to Paul for a roll call. Thank you. Crick? Here. Cronin? Here. Uh, Smith? Here. Voigt? Here. Weigel? Here. Is that everybody? That is everybody we plan to have in attendance today. Okay. And Paul, it looks like you're actually in Lawrence. I made it. Yes. Well, welcome. Okay. Um, our next, uh, so we didn't really do introductions. We're okay with that, right? Everybody knows who we are by now? I, I believe so. Okay, well then let's move on to public comment. Do we have anybody there or online for public comment? I do not believe we have anyone online um, of our observers today. And we're, there is no one in person here to make public comment. Okay. All right, we can move on to approving the minutes then. Are there any comments or discussion about last month's minutes? Hearing none, I'll take a motion to approve the April 5th minutes. I move to approve the April 5th, 2022 minutes. Second. All right, please give us a roll call vote. Crick. Aye. Cronin. Aye. Smith. Aye. Voigt. Aye. Weigel. Aye. The motion passes unanimously. Great, thank you. All right, moving on to the agenda, uh, Lawrence Pedestrian Plan. All right. Ah. All right, we have for your consideration today, did that allow me to share the screen? That did not. Just a second. Technical difficulties of the user. Just work. Did it work? Okay. Yep. There we go. 
Great. So we are presenting to you today uh, the draft, the final draft of the Lawrence Pedestrian Plan for your consideration uh, and future and can recommendation of approval for the MPO Policy Board. So we're seeking today. We began this process in 2021 um, when the MPO Policy Board established the Lawrence Pedestrian Plan Update Steering Committee and staff advisors to help guide this process. Um, the work of the MPO staff was supported by these city staff and, and our planning partner staff um, before we took things with with our steering committee through our uh, public process. And here you can see all the meetings for that were virtual and there's a screen share of that process as we went through. We worked with the committee to develop a scope of work that recognized all of the uh, emerging planning topics around pedestrian issues that we felt needed to be addressed. Um, we'll highlight each of these and in, in, in the sum of the recommendations that come about as part of this process. But we really uh, got the buy-in from the steering committee of this work um, as before we uh, uh, completed the, the kind of orientation of the plan. Here's an idea of the timeline we went through. We started by drafting an existing conditions memo, updating the progress since 2016 pedestrian plan and the ped bike issues task force of the city. We held a community engagement phase to understand issues and barriers and set priorities. Um, and then we drafted and researched as part of the plan elements, kind of each of those categories that you found in the scope of work. We had a 30 day public comment period um, and we'll, we can share the comments we received in our MPO response to those that were then considered by the steering committee with um, their final buy-in and uh, the consideration so far of the Multimodal Transportation Commission last night. Um, and we're in that plan approvals and um, before we get to plan implementation phase. Um, the built environment improvements are the things I think that people recognized the most in relation to success of the pedestrian plan, but there were a plethora of other uh, programs and projects and policies that have impacted walkability in the city of Lawrence, including some things like the work we have done around safe routes to school, neighborhood traffic management, dedicated bicycle and pedestrian funding, and the non-motorized prioritization, signal timing coordination, among other things like the sidewalk improvement program. And so our existing conditions memo really took the opportunity to highlight all of those things in a way that we could not only just engage with the community about some of their issues or barriers, but also take the opportunity to share with them some of those successes through boards and memos that we distributed also while we were doing tabling. We heard um, that we asked the, uh, the, the question about what difficult or unpleasant barriers people may experience. And we'll talk about the top five because I think these really stand, or six, because I think these really five, because I think they, these really stand out in the reflection of the work that we focused on um, for recommendations. Busy streets with no sidewalks, sidewalks in disrepair or tripping hazard, drivers not watching or yielding for people crossing the street or driveways, sidewalks or gaps in no sidewalks, and drivers going too fast. And so I think you'll see um, a variety of recommendations around gaps and prioritizing gaps, particularly on streets of priority. Um, our recommendations around uh, sidewalk improvement and ADA for tripping hazards and condition and um, some of the education and enforcement require recommendations we have around drivers not yielding and drivers driver behavior in general speeding. 
we modified the vision from the 2016 plan um, by clarifying when we talk about abilities that we also mean those with using an assistive device for all ages and abilities and also added um, the conversation about equity to this because part of the work we did explored the impact of the sidewalk network presence across the transportation disadvantaged block groups in our community. And I'll talk about that a little bit more. So this is the vision that we ended up with in support of the plan um, that, that recognizes the value of walkability for the health, wellness, um, environment, economy, and equity for access for people in our community. Our implementation recommendations, we're kind of going to walk through each of these, but we framed them around five categories. So building and maintaining the network, crossings, land use, transportation and design, safety, comfort in the streetscape and evaluation. As we got into recognizing the need to construct the prioritized sidewalk gaps, we took the opportunity to identify additional gaps that would support transit access, food, healthy food destinations, and park access. And we added those to the existing gaps that we had identified already on collect our, both sides of collector and arterial streets and our safe routes to school um, gaps. And so what you see here, um, is the yellow is um, uh, the pedestrian priority network, which represents all of those corridors and the collection of the network that we would prioritize for sidewalk improvements. And then the gap projects that remain, it's about 50 miles of gap projects on that priority network. Here is the uh, some of the data and analysis we're going to show you at a high level, but it includes maps for every block group, exploring as a ratio the si percentage of sidewalk to road um, presence in each block group as a proxy to understand where there may be disparities existing in the access to the pedestrian network um, for mobility. And so we looked at that across minority block groups, and we also looked at that across transportation disadvantaged block groups as a way to make also recommendation that there is a need to prioritize um, sidewalk gap infill um, in places where we experience, uh, we've found populations with transportation disadvantage um, disadvantages. Here's an example of what we include in the technical appendices for every block group. We show the existing sidewalk to road percentage, and then we show all the gap projects that you found on the previous charts um, as a way to show if those projects were filled, what the change in the sidewalk to road percentages may be. We use that as a proxy um, for us to be able to understand where there may be challenges in some of these gaps. I'm showing you the, the most severe transportation disadvantage block group um, based on our demographic analysis that we are using. And so we make a recommendation uh, to the Multimodal Transportation Commission in this plan to update the, and weight um, the prioritization of these projects in gap and fill. And they last night chose to include that in their policy recommendations already. We recognize that building the network also includes continuing to implement sidewalk improvement and the plans that are already underway for the 2023 development of the ADA transition plan for the public right-of-way. And so we recognize that those are two ongoing things that continue to evolve and are in process and will be necessary to ensure we can improve walkability. We looked at 
crossing timings. And we um, recognize with our um, steering committee members that the city in from 2021 to 22 was working on um, evaluating uh, signal crossings and signalized uh, cord corridor coordination. And as part of that work to ensure that crossing uh, times met uh, the current standards. And so we, you can see here what programs and Brown were done in 2020 and which were planned for 21 and 22. And we make a recommendation that um, future years need to evaluate and ensure the remainder of the signals that have yet to be identified. Did you admit him? Okay. We recognize the need. We were really hoping to get more into this in the plan development process. We asked residents um, and the community members who took our survey to identify on that right map the locations of intersections that may be of concern, unsignalized intersections that had um, concern that they had submitted in terms of saying we'd like to explore crossing improvements here. And we've shown that with the potential crossing demand from our pedestrian model as a way to start to begin to prioritize some of those intersections. There was over 147 unique intersections that people identified as desiring um, crossing improvements improvements to. And so we identified um, the need to adopt standards to identify appropriate crossing treatments and to program those projects into the non-motorized prioritization program and incorporate those then into roadway reconstruction and major maintenance projects. And that center chart is kind of an example of some of the countermeasures in the uh, federal highway report that would be an opportunity to explore with some more specific standards as ways to address some of those safety issues. Um, as we talk about land use and transportation and design, street classification um, is, is something that you've probably heard us discuss before and um, recognizing other pedestrian facilities besides sidewalks. So we explored, there's a, a, a much of the street network that doesn't have existing sidewalk on either side. And as we talk about the vision for the long-term network, we're gonna realize it's gonna take us a long time at the current rate that we're going. And so that center picture is in North Lawrence. It's a good example of what's happening on most streets unofficially um, as them being considered as yield roadways. And we asked people how comfortable they felt on that type of facility based on those pictures. And you can kind of see their responses. The majority is very uncomfortable or somewhat uncomfortable. And so we recognize the need to do greater education in regards to addressing some of the barriers around yielding and speeding um, that people uh, noted to us in the comments about why they uh, felt uncomfortable in some of those situations. And so this may be something in the short term that those policies and programs will need to consider because the reality is the time it's going to take at the current rate of investment um, is quite a while. So this will be the reality for many of the streets across our community. And with slow speeds and um, low traffic volumes, it may be appropriate that um, they can operate this way safely in the future until sidewalk can be constructed. We also recognize the ongoing efforts that have been halted, but are were ongoing to establish uh, brick with the brick committee um, and the need to establish brick sidewalk standards and how that plays into sidewalk improvement and ADA concerns. So that's a recommendation in the plan. 
we made uh, some did conducted some research to consider uh, the pedestrian environment and the land development code and rate made recommendations around kind of those four bullets the deploy pedestrian oriented development plan and construct connective road patterns allow denser residential and commercial construction and incentivize development within the city um, these are things we felt like were in coordination with plan 2040 and the work that would support future walkability and that development code update we also recognize the need to incorporate the long-term sidewalk vision in the land development code and I'm going to talk about that in greater detail. We asked people in the responses uh, that we got about um, the vision for sidewalk and we wanted to put that together with uh, some high-level planning cost estimates doesn't include right away and doesn't include some other things but it gives us a really good picture of ideas about um, if we were trying to plan sidewalks on all sides of all streets um, about 70 miles um, how long that would take us um, and you can see by comparison how long uh, sidewalks on both sides of arterials and collectors and one side of local streets in terms of the comparison from 248 years to 143 years, both beyond our lifetime. Um, and so our recommendation in this, especially for retrofits, the long-term vision for sidewalks would be sidewalks on both sides of new and existing arterial and collector streets, both sides of new local streets and one side of existing local streets. And recognizing that as with many of these indications, the level of current investment does not meet the community's expectation for delivering on walkability. Um, the street environment isn't just about the infrastructure that we have, it's also about actual and perceived safety. And the recommendations in the plan around this include education enforcement and the need to reestablish the traffic enforcement unit and the need um, to continue to implement the neighborhood traffic management program and elevate um, enforcement of speeding and then also failure to yield to pedestrians. You, we saw that as some two of the concerns um, in the barriers that uh, people addressed in regards to barriers for walking. We also have recommendations on following some of our best practice research and local issues that have been identified in the need to review and update regulations to clarify conflicting users of the sidewalk. So that doesn't include just bike and ped and maybe not on sidewalk or shared use path, but thinking about all the electric and motorized uh, devices that also operate in those spaces and how the perceived safety of pedestrians. Um, to reestablish the uh, fatality crash investigation to use crash data to identify future roadway geometric improvements. Um, there had been some previous partnership between Lawrence Police Department and Municipal Services and Operations, and we, uh, since COVID, hope that that gets reestablished um, in a way to do that work to identify projects like highway safety improvement projects that have been the result of mass street improvements, 23rd in Iowa, 6th in Iowa, et cetera. Um, additionally, we believe there should be some implementation of pedestrian legal frameworks to decriminalize walking and address anti-harassment. Um, legislation and those are some best practice best practices nationally um, when you think about the streetscape um, we think about trees and lighting winter weather policies block driveways brush clearing um, in addition to wayfinding and implementing transit amenities to think about multimodal trips so we have recommendations to support um, this work um, also in the plan 
when we think about doing this work like we took the opportunity at the beginning of this planning process to reflect on where we've been, um, we established five performance measures that we felt have available data um, that coordinate with both the Transportation 2040 existing measures and the Lawrence Strategic Plan as measures that can be indicators for this work under this plan. Um, the first is per percentage of public streets on sidewalks with, with sidewalks on at least one side. And you can see the change from 2017 to 2020. Um, we also, and that's that's a current performance measure too in um, transportation 2040. Um, this is connected city from the St Lawrence strategic plan. It's percentage of sidewalk and charities path in compliance with ADA and deflection minimum standards. And that's currently at 20% based on their evaluation um, using LIDAR. And so I think that will continue to be evaluated and assessed as part of the ADA transition plan in the public right away. Additionally, looking at pr the pr priority pedestrian network and recognizing that there's about 50 miles of gaps on that network and tracking that over time based on where those gaps exist in the plan. We have it broken out based on if they're on safe routes to school, a, a connecting route or arterial or collector. Um, these last two are both from transportation 2040, number of non-motorized fatalities and serious injuries, and that's um, bike and ped, um, but we pulled this measure in as a way to understand what's happening to active transportation users on our system and percent of pedestrian mode choice, which is currently at 5.9%. Um, we had a 30-day public comment period from February 28th to March 30th, um, and we received comments. Um, we broke them into kind of not, some of these were multiple comments from the same person, but we broke them into classification kind of by the topic area and responded to these. These were reviewed by the steering committee and the steering committee agreed with the action that we took. There were a few changes we noted in the plan. Um, some of these we didn't make a change, but we recognize that um, there's a di there's additional desire to see more out of um, understanding that this plan will require more resources and, and other things. This is available for your review, including a letter of support provided to us by the Healthy Built Environment Work Group in regards to the pedestrian plan that was presented. I would be happy to entertain any questions you may have. I just... Does anybody have any questions? Jessica, I was wondering about the minority block groups and where those come from and what do they mean? Because some of them look a little odd. Okay. So we have conducted as part of our work um, throughout the MPO planning products, we have our environmental justice zones and we have in the development of the TIP agreed to the definitions that we have used for um, percentage of minority populations. Let me pull this up real quick. You're asking me to remember that off the top of my head and I cannot do that today. Jeff may be able to do that because he's laughing at me. I don't think I can do it off the top of my head either today, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough.
All right, so here you can see from as part of our environmental justice zones, the minority data is census American community survey data with five year estimates where one race was used to depict areas in Douglas County that have minority populations within the 99% confidence interval of the average population residing in Lawrence and Douglas County. So we are in that case, we're 99% sure that the intervals contain all of the values and that they represent a score over the average. We have had conversations in the future that when we update the new tip, we may change this definition, but for all intents and purposes now as part of our environmental justice zones, which is minority and income. Um, and you can see those. here that those are represented across the hatch um, markings of, of the city in relationship to the areas within the county that represent that. Since we're looking at the county, the averages for the city probably skew higher rather than looking at the city at large because we're doing this for, for the in terms of the average across block groups. We also anticipate, I think, probably some changes um, in regard to this with uh, future delineation and breaking of um, census block groups that you would see some stratification in some of these zones related to some of the multifamily dwellings and um, more, more dispersed um, single family or you know no, no, no houses just based on how some of the block groups are constructed. It did just strike me as a little odd that, you know, Albemarle Golf Course is in there as a minority block group, but East Lawrence is not. Yeah, so it has to do probably with the structure of how some of those block groups are contrived and that that block group doesn't exceed the countywide average. Okay. How much of a factor is that in this pedestrian information? So in the pedestrian information, while we looked at it across block groups in the plan, we we more so used um, the transportation disadvantaged population information because that's the information in the factors of all the population criteria. Um, just a second, I'm gonna look this up too, sorry. Um, that, that those are the factors that the, trans, the Multimodal Transportation Commission has used to feel like to wait um, against some of the prioritization for considerations of equity in our work. And so what you can see here in our transportation disadvantaged population analysis is that's an index that we've created that represents a, a bunch of different um, characteristics of, of populations in our community, including low to moderate income minorities, households with an individual with a mobility disability, people who have less than a high school education, single parent households, households without vehicles, and youth under 18 and senior citizens over 65. We created this scoring system um, to explore um, where the Lawrence average is and a point range for how dense uh, of the block group population is for that average. We've summed those scores 
to create an index um, so we can see where there is the most um, assumed populations that experience transportation challenges or disadvantages as a way to start to understand how we could target um, improvements and prioritize improvements where we feel like they could make the most impact for people who have less choice in transportation modes. Okay, thanks for that. Yeah. On that, like that exhibit right there, you know, the wetlands obviously are, would not be a priority for any of this. Um, and I assume that Polygon is out there because that's the way that it was given to you by the census tract data. Yes. Yeah, so some of that's assumed we're not building, we're not just building uh, carte blanche in some of those areas. I think it's about looking at where in the network, right, like on city streets in those areas, um, yeah. there's an experience of uh, mobility challenges and it's targeted specifically to those projects and prioritizing. We're not using this list to make projects. We've already identified the projects and we're using it to prioritize the projects we've identified based on where we feel they'll be most valuable um, to start addressing some of the disparity that the changes in code over time have made to determine where sidewalks have been built in our community or not. On the second page of the document, you're looking for um, adopted by both the MPO Policy Board and the Lawrence City Commission. So are we, with a vote today, are we adopting or are we recommending adoption? Okay, uh, the Technical Advisory Committee recommends adoption to the MPO Policy Board, okay. and this will go to the MPO Policy Board for their consideration. After Good. the MPO has approved it, um, it will go to the Lawrence City Commission for their consideration. Great. Does anybody else have any questions? I do have one. I don't know. It might be a little bit for Jessica. It might be some for Jeff. But there's the um, recommendation around um, street connectivity, you know, a more uh, kind of logical, uh, ideally grid pattern streets in our future. And, you know, we've got a lot of existing subdivisions, particularly as you head to the western half of the city. And I just wonder what the process might look like for tying that together over time. I know we have our future thoroughfares map. Um, I don't know what our strategy or appetite is for looking at strategic properties that the city's not going to try to imminent domain today, but if 20 years down the road there's an opportunity to purchase it to connect a street and make the grid look better. Um, are, are we setting ourselves up for that type of really long-term change with street grid? And they can help walkability, can help a lot of other things. Um, so I'm just curious about that. I don't know if that's in, I bring Jeff in because I'm not sure if that comes in the lane development code process and our discussions around that or uh, like the future thoroughfares map. You know, I, I think in, in all honesty, I think there's probably a, a conversation to be had around the development code and the update related to the subdivision regulations. But that's what's going to drive that street pattern and platting that you would see in the community. Doesn't mean you can't maybe have streets change and ebb and flow over time, but uh, it may just be a, a much bigger, broader conversation than just a pedestrian plan and one that's more of a holistic look at the subdivision regulations. Yeah, and my question is really about like, do we do we accept the 
the challenges we've we've given ourselves in the past with street grid and say that those are unchangeable or do or is there a way to set ourselves up for um you know not like swift action to change neighborhoods drastically but um you know gradual change over time to connect a piece here connect a piece there um, with property that today might be private um, but maybe down the road could potentially um, help us do some connections yeah, that, you know, I think it, it's possible. We've seen some of that previously before with some different street realignments and things. So it may be a little bit more about opportunity and, and timing with those kind of things. So a couple that jumped to mine are in kind of more downtown central Lawrence, if you will, where those roads have kind of changed and modified over the years. So I think it's possible. I don't, I don't know if the development code update or this gives us any kind of long-term plan for those kind of things, but it's, I think it's out there, yeah. Does anybody else have any comments or questions? Or a motion maybe to recommend approval of the pedestrian plan? Adam Weigel, I would recommend approval of the Lawrence Pedestrian Plan. I'd second that. Great. Jessica, that's a really uh, huge amount of work, it looks like. So thank you. Let's get a roll call vote on approval. Rick? Aye. Cronin? Aye. Smith? Voigt? Aye. Weigel? Aye. The motion passes unanimously. Great. Thank you. All right. Quick updates. Transportation 2050, Jessica. Yes. Transportation 2050 public engagement is underway. In fact, we're going to be at the library in just 30 minutes. Um, doing some talking as to part of the community and we've already been out last week and we will through uh, mid-June um, doing engagement for uh, to understand and collect uh, transportation user experiences um, as part of that effort. Additionally, we are following the update to our public participation plan, exploring our Title VI and LEP, Limited English Proficiency Plan updates, um, recognizing that there's been updated data and process in some cases. So we are doing some updates to those um, documents you'll see in the future. We also have a federal fiscal year 2021-24 TIP amendment underway for June consideration. And I've attached the link um, where KDOT will post their monthly updates when they are available. You're muted, Chad. Yep. So we don't need to hear from Allison. <laughs> I don't know, she have anything? I don't have anything unless any of you have questions um, that I can answer for you. Okay. That's it for the agenda. Um, anything else we need to cover? Other business? Anybody? Okay. Thank you, Jessica. This is great. A lot of work went into that. Yes. So, thank you. And thanks everybody for your time today and we'll see you next month, probably.
So yeah. we are adjourned. Thanks. Thank you. Bye.